So I want to thank you all for coming. It's really quite a blessing to have so many wonderful beings all come together and support each other in our spiritual lives. And we are so honored to have Gavin Harrison with us. So I want to just begin the morning by welcoming Gavin and by saying just a couple words about this wonderful being that's with us today and helped to bring us all together. Um, Gavin, as some of you know, came from the East Coast. How long ago was it now? Eleven months. Eleven months. <laughs> Eleven months ago. And has had kind of a miracle, I think, in his life of really finding his home here and really becoming quite um, a part of us all and a part of the land and the, the whole spiritual um, healing that's happening here on this island. And we're really blessed to have him um, come and offer a series of one-day retreats here. And so um, some of you were actually at uh, the other retreats. And you know, as a matter of fact, we had one in July, and I can't remember the name of it now. Does anybody remember? But we had one last February called The Compassionate Heart. And then we had another one in July. Docility and Truth. Ah, that was it. Docility and Truth. And um, today, as you know, we are focusing on forgiveness, bridging insight and loving kindness. So uh, these are wonderful ways to focus our meditative life, and Gavin's going to guide us and open it up to all of us to reflect on this uh, theme today. And then we're fortunate to have him come um, again um, in, in uh, March, no, in January, and he's going to do one called Beyond the Grip of Fear, and that will be um, our way of starting the new year, of really working with that in a creative and healing way. And then in March, he's going to do one called Urgency, Contentment, and the Edges of Love. And so um, for those of you who have not received yet the uh, information or who want to, I've got some over here, and I'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, but So you can see that we're really fortunate to have Gavin to bring these, uh, this focus for our spiritual life. And uh, I just really want to welcome you, Gavin, wholeheartedly. For all of us. And I want to give you this beautiful lei, which wow. a wonderful man who lives here in Mount Loa State's made. Mm. Aloha. Thank you. Do I get a kiss from Peter? But <laughs> 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 you'd never ask. <laughs> Sit up here shortly and then I'm going to go back down. <coughs> I too would like to join Kathleen and I know Peter in welcoming you all here today. As you've <coughs> had some indication, we're a rich tapestry today. We have friends from uh, the other islands in Hawaii here today. Uh, there are there are people in our community today from the mainland, and of course we all come from the four corners of this exquisite and beautiful island. So I too welcome you. Um, Peter. Uh, Peter and Kathleen 
have so graciously opened this retreat center to us today, and I would like to, on our behalf, thank them for both creating this space and for putting in the considerable effort and energy and love that it takes to bring these days together. So, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And Peter is going to, um, wait, Kathleen, do you have anything more to say about registration? Yes, sure. actually, I could. Please, why don't you go ahead. Buddha lived two and a half thousand years ago, and in his 29th year, he opened to the deepest um, understanding possible for any human being. And in the 40 years following that experience, he traveled the length and breadth of northern India and Nepal, sharing the teachings. And throughout the course of his life, nuns and monks gathered in different places to practice the Dharma, which is the Sanskrit or Pali word for the Buddhist teaching, to practice the Dharma. And usually these communities were in forests or bamboo groves outside villages and towns. And the nuns and monks practiced meditation, preserved the teachings, and um, Every day, the, uh, to be careful with the cats and the microphone. Um, every, every day in the morning, the nuns and monks would walk into the villages, into the towns, and go on arms round to receive food and offerings from the people in the village. And what food they were given was the food that they ate and they took it back to the monastery where they ate together, and by lunchtime, uh, midday, um, their meal was done, and that was their, their, their eating until the next morning. And in this way, there was a wonderful interdependence that happened between the people in the village, the lay people, and the women and men who were in robes um, outside of the village. The nuns and monks were supported by the village and they themselves uh, preserved the teachings, practiced the teachings. And these monasteries, these groves were the heart, the spiritual center uh, of the life of, of the village. And the Buddha spoke often about the importance of this relationship between those practicing and those offering teachings and those hearing them. In fact, there are many accounts in the suttas of the Buddha actually moving a community of monks and nuns when they felt that w what they were doing wasn't respected or appreciated as it might be. He felt it was very important that the teachings be preserved and honored and respected. He spoke often in his teachings about the importance of generosity. He he called generosity one of the parameters, one of the great perfections of mind. And the teaching of generosity is essentially one of letting go, of open-handedness and open-heartedness. Some of you who are familiar with Buddhist iconography and statues may have seen sometimes the Buddha is standing and 
one of his hands is down like this and the other hand is up like that. And that is a gesture of open-handedness and open-heartedness. He's saying these teachings are completely open and available to everyone. They are given with the utmost generosity. For me that is um, a very touching and very important aspect of the way these teachings have been preserved over all these two and a half thousand years. And as a practice, generosity can be expressed in so many different ways. I feel as human beings, perhaps the ultimate act of generosity is our endeavor to bring an authentic and true presence to life and to one another. Can we bring the peace and the equanimity and the understanding of our journeys to one another and to our communities so that we can inspire and touch those around us and be touched by them also? As Kathleen mentioned, these months on the Big Island have been certainly the most remarkable and wonderful of my life. And one of the blessings was a meeting with a man, his name is Tom Grundon, who has been my Tai Chi teacher. He's a master of Tai Chi and practiced for 26 years. And when he is doing the form, at times I cry because it is so beautiful as I perceive the harmony with which he interacts with the energy around him and with the natural world. But unquestionably, the greatest gift and the most profound gift that Tom has given me is that he has reminded me of what is possible in my own life. He is a mirror of what has been forgotten for whatever reason in my heart and my mind. And he has inspired me to remember again. He has given me the greatest gift and even though he's no longer on this island, the gift endures. He has helped me remember. Bringing the gift of who we are, the essence to the world, such an intense act of generosity. The Buddha said, if you knew what I knew about the power of giving, you would not let a single moment pass, a single meal pass even, without sharing it in some way. And I feel that our, our mischief today, our time together looking at forgiveness, is one of the great acts of generosity. Not only a generosity to those around us, but a generosity to ourselves. I had the great privilege of spending some time as a Buddhist monk. It's, it is customary for women and men to ordain for short periods of time or a couple of years. It's not a lifelong commitment. And actually Steve Armstrong and Stephen Smith, two people who come to mind who've taught here, also spent time in robes. It was very moving living a life completely and utterly dependent on the kindness and generosity of other people. If I ran out of toothpaste and nobody offered me toothpaste, I was not in a position to ask. It was amazing for someone who's lived such an abundant and in some ways excessive life to be reduced to that kind of self 
reflection. And so today, we in the West, I and my colleagues who are so blessed and so privileged to share these teachings as I am doing today and as Kathleen has mentioned have been done often and hopefully will be done in the future here, we continue the, the ancient tradition of offering these teachings freely, completely open-handedly. They are never ever charged for. What you pay in order to be here is to cover the administrative costs and the everyday expenses of arranging them. But the teachings are often free, offered freely, and it feels very important for me to acknowledge that today. And it's traditional in the West to invite those who hear the teachings, who perhaps benefit from them, who are touched, to express their gratitude, their appreciation, and their support in offerings of what is called dana, or generosity, to, to those who share the teachings. Our livelihood, and I speak inclusively of others like myself, uh, very gratefully depends on the generous kindness of those uh, who, who we serve. Uh, I'm just very emotional as I speak because um, both on the one hand, it's difficult talking about money for me, I know it is for some other people too, but the other is that a couple of weeks ago I was on Maui and visited um, Stephen Armstrong and Kamala Masters who are establishing a wonderful uh, meditation uh, community up on the, on the slopes of Haleakala where there'll be hermitages and a meditation hall and retreats there. And also I'm very happy to say that Michelle MacDonald and Stephen Smith have now acquired a vast tract of land in Kohala uh, right up to, to the edge of the ocean. And unquestionably, whatever is going to arise on that piece of land will be among the most beautiful places in the world for practicing meditation. And all of these places and all of these people are supported by this practice um, of dana. And on all of our behalfs, I'd like to, to acknowledge that. So just like the nuns and monks of long ago, we come together today on the edge of a volcano. Robert Aiken, who's a wonderful Zen master who actually lives just around the bend of the volcano here, he, he spoke of generosity in this way. He said, our task is to respond generously to others. We can take as our examples not only the Buddha and our other Dharma ancestors, but also such humble beings as bushes and grasses. With every fiber, beings of the plant world are guiding others, conveying their vitality to the water, to the soil, to the air, to insects, to animals, and to people. How do we actualize this oneness of all beings? And then Aiken says, we do so through responsibility, meaning the ability to respond like clover. When clover is cut and its roots die and release their nitrogen, and then the soil is enriched. New seeds fall, take root, mature, 
and feed other organisms. Clover doesn't think about responsibility, and neither did the Buddha. He simply arose from his seat and went looking for his friends to teach them. The clover simply puts down its roots, puts up its leaves, and flowers. The human being does not become an angel, but rather finds affinity with the silent clover. <coughs> Last weeks, as I've anticipated and reflected on this day together, my thoughts and my heart has been so often uh, in South Africa. As I've said before here, if you dropped right through the very center of the earth, you would come out on the slopes of Table Mountain in South Africa, where I was born and where I grew up. And I have no doubt that I will be evoking um, Africa here today uh, together. And the miracle birthed within the violence and the heartbreak of the South African tragedy is, I feel, one of the most important, unique, and hopeful junctures in the bloody history of our suffering world. Nine years ago, in my homeland, amidst the swirling forces of suspicion and violence, recrimination, negotiation, and despair, women and men from almost every facet of the political and the spiritual spectrum sat down and talked together for the first time ever. Black folk and white folk, people from across the rainbow of differences that have torn my country apart for so long, all at loggerheads with one another in some way since white folk landed on the tip of Africa in 1652. These people now joined hands and hearts, tentatively and with some trepidation and much animosity, to see if South Africa could find a key to the peace and the dignity, the fairness and the mutual respect that over three centuries of interracial violence and oppression, interracial separation and selfishness had made an elusive impossibility. Forty years of entrenched and legislated racial domination had the white folk quite reluctant to relinquish their privilege and their authority. And those same 40 years had many other people ready and probably able to take their liberation through the barrel of a shotgun and blast the beloved country into a bloody, vengeful, and bitter civil war. And my nation, along with the world, held its breath and prayed and looked on. As former enemies now edged closer, tiny accommodations between them 
turned into extraordinary agreements, promising miracles that many thought were impossible. Over those years of wrangling and talking, the bloody foundation stones of apartheid were at last dislodged, and the underpinnings of a system that had murdered uncountable human beings, that had separated its people from one another, that had elevated some folk above others, that had censored the minds and restricted the movements of everyone, and colonized the lands of its native people, all now, nine years ago, disintegrated forever. And this miracle blessedly happened with relatively little bloodshed and with greater dignity than anyone could ever have imagined and with a speed that left the world and the nation breathless. And I feel we must, as sensitive, interested, questioning people, ask ourselves, how was this possible? How did a people in power find within themselves a capacity to negotiate an end to their privilege. In the history of the world, it has never, ever happened before. We are a selfish species. By and large, we cherish our comfort and our privilege so much. Certainly many of us here rightly consider ourselves more malleable, less self-serving, and more inclined to simplicity, fairness, and an equitable distribution of things. But it seems deep down in the end, our culture and our world is largely a very selfish, hurtful, and careless one. And yet, at the same time, given the opportunity and permission, we can, as evidenced in South Africa, be a generous, fair, less violent, and far, far more kind species. We are, I believe, all of us capable of unfathomable love and compassion, even if for some reason we cannot always manifest these qualities in our lives all of the time. And I feel it is, in the end, the force, the power, and the strength, and the courage of our authentic love and a genuine yearning for truth and our capacity for forgiveness, perhaps more than anything else, that is fundamental to a redirectioning both of our lives and our world to that brave new terrain where greater love, harmony, peace, and mutual understanding is an ever-present possibility for all of us. In February 1990, Nelson Mandela, after 27 years in prison, walked through the gates of Polsmoor Prison in Cape Town. Watching that moment on television in Brattleboro, it was snowing, I remember, I wept uncontrollably as my eyes for the first time in my life set, rested on the man I'd admired for so long. Growing up in South Africa, I'd been barred from reading about him, reading his writings, even carrying a picture of him or associating with the political organization with which he was aligned. 
and which now governs South Africa. On that day in February 1990, Nelson Mandela was at last free, and as he stepped back into the escalating nightmare he'd left 27 years before, I thought how bitter he must be. Jailed for all those years, his wife had been harassed, hounded, and incarcerated and restricted by the police. His children were completely grown up without the benefit of his fathering. And most of his friends were in exile, many were dead, and many of them were in hiding. I thought, how could he possibly contain all the pain, the rage, the grief, and the bitterness that assuredly must have been there? At this heady moment, there were two shining moments when I feel the course of history in my country was changed forever. Both moments, I believe, embody the courage and power of forgiveness and unquestionably presage the events and the miracle that swiftly followed. In Rustenburg, a dusty, windswept, conservative, largely Afrikaner farming town in the northwest province of South Africa, clergymen from every denomination of every color from all over the country, liberal to arch-conservative, gathered to discuss, reflect, and pray for the huge changes that were sweeping the country. They'd never before met in the 300-year history of uh, white people in South Africa. Ministers from the Dutch Reformed Church attended also. This was one of the Afrikaans churches who had blessed apartheid when it was conceived, who had deemed it conversant with the teachings of Jesus Christ. This church for 40 years had unequivocally authorized, spiritually deified, and countenanced oppression, racism, and discrimination in my country. Now, in Rustenburg, these Afrikaners came forward, they fell to their knees before the other church leaders and apologized for apartheid and begged for forgiveness. And the nation reeled with the force and the candor of this plea and this admission. In an instant, the moral imperative behind which so many white folk had taken privileged refuge disappeared forever. And the other thing that happened almost at the same time was that Nelson Mandela publicly and irrevocably committed himself to peaceful negotiation with the white government. He forswore violence and pledged himself to reconciliation and dignity and asked one day how he could negotiate with those who had jailed and killed his friends, uprooted his people, had caused so much suffering. He responded, in the end, we are a forgiving people. And ultimately, I feel it is the courage, the strength, and the power of forgiveness that has continued and does continue that has delivered and continues to deliver South Africa from the bloody history of, of the years gone by. And I feel that forgiveness holds no less potential and possibility for us here today.
We walk today a fierce and tender path and one of great sweetness by positioning our footfalls in the direction of forgiveness. I feel we call forth from within ourselves a capacity and a willingness of heart to repopulate ancient places of woundedness, old, even forgotten landscapes of pain, and perhaps areas of fear, violence, and even abuse that a part of us would far rather leave alone. This is not a way of faint-heartedness. Forgiveness is a path of fierce courage, candor, and infinite patience. Never is forgiveness about condoning something that should never ever have happened. However could we say yes to violence, to homophobia, to discrimination, to the abuse of children, that would be unthinkable. Forgiveness is about opening to the truth of the legacy of this violence and then moving on and letting go with no modicum of self-denial and self-sublimation. The practice of forgiveness awakens and deepens our capacity of heart to hang out with what is painful within us and feel perhaps again the brokenness and brokenheartedness of our history and perhaps touch the heart of a much younger and fearful time. And I feel that forgiveness is also a path of tenderness as we extend care and love to places of lovelessness where only fear, confusion, violence, and even hatred once prevailed. The practice of insight meditation, which is the practice that I've been trained in, is one of wisdom, of letting go. And another practice that the Buddha taught, the practice of loving-kindness, is one of love and compassion. I feel that forgiveness might be considered a bridge between insight and loving-kindness practice. It is concerned with letting go, moving on, disdaining and healing the forces of retribution, escalation and tit-for-tat. Forgiveness is concerned with our capacity to love. So we have fierce and tender and very sweet mischief ahead of us today. In the unfolding of meditation, in the unfolding of the spiritual journey, we must open eventually to every facet of who we are. Like flower buds closed for so long, our petals begin to unravel and reveal a far greater loveliness and vision and potential for ourselves than we ever thought possible. Coming face to face with the deepening truth of who we are, we undoubtedly discover landscapes of beauty and wonder far more lovely than we ever imagined possible. In time we must discover the limitless capacity of our great hearts to love and to cherish, to nurture and to care, to respect and to surrender. Probably at times we will discover a groundswell of happiness, peace, joy, contentment, equanimity and decency that 
is way beyond our imagining of what we ever thought would be possible. We are all, after all, in the end, far greater souls than we ever believed we could be. And how lovely this is, and how vital it is that we acknowledge, celebrate, and remember this loveliness and beauty. For undoubtedly, in the course of the journey, we will open also to those patterns that can tear our hearts apart. You may discover a capacity to rage and fear and attack that flies directly in the face of all the self-images we might carry of ourselves. In meditation with mindfulness and courage, we may hang out with interludes of guilt and jealousy, vindictiveness and hard-heartedness that we'd never acknowledged or felt so painfully before. Sometimes I feel that I cannot bear to see a further moment of conflict and turmoil within myself. I'd rather run, hide, and escape in any direction. And yet, in the end, the added pain of that avoidance and denial and contraction brings me, and if I might say for a moment, inclusively brings us back to the fiery edge where, with mindfulness, we endeavor to be as present, accepting, and patient as possible with the full truth of who we are. And so, now again, as thoughtful people, the question we might ask is, where do we find the courage, the resolve, and the patience to continue during those dark times? To take ourselves to those edges of painful acknowledgement within us and dwell there, where all our lofty and impossible self-images pretenses must crumble in the stark reality of the burgeoning awareness of the fuller truth of who we are. It is my experience that the practice of forgiveness has been crucial and central in bringing my own internal warfare to an end once and for all. Along with insight meditation and loving-kindness practice, forgiveness has been a part of my journey right from the very beginning. Through the course of the day, um, there will be periods of sitting meditation and walking meditation. There will also be opportunities for discussion as well. What I would like to do now is just guide us into uh, insight meditation practice and then lead a little into forgiveness. And then we'll have a walking period. We will come together um, after that. There have been a lot of words so far this morning. Just would like to say a few very brief <coughs> things that I forgot to mention earlier on because I don't have a list like Kathleen has. Um, the day will unfold in silence and it's a great and generous <coughs> gift and blessing to gift one another with the community of silence. And so I ask if you would uh, keep the silence as both uh, an experiment in seeing um, 
how difficult perhaps it is to to be with uh, whatever it is that is meant to arise and how beautiful it is to be with whatever arises in silence together. Uh, there isn't really a schedule for today because my experience is that whenever we make a schedule it just doesn't happen that way. So the day's going to unfold. Uh, we'll have lunch at some point. Is there anybody that has like a specific time that they need to eat? All the time. There we go. <laughs> there, we have something next to you there. Um, so, uh, sort of midday-ish, we'll, we'll have a break and we will definitely end by five o'clock. Um, what were the other things? Um, as Kathleen mentioned, we will be taping today. If anybody at any point would like the tape recorder stopped for any reason, I will certainly do that. And if there's, uh, there's anybody that is uncomfortable with the taping happening, please let me know. Um, these tapes are made available through the Damacy Tape Library and uh, so that others who, who are not here and would like to hear it, of course, have the opportunity to do so. This will not be a long period of sitting meditation. But I'd like to invite you to take a, a posture that's comfortable. It's always helpful to, to have a posture that allows your back to be as perpendicular as possible. And allowing your eyes to close gently, softly. Just give attention initially to the experience of sitting here together. Being aware of Perhaps the feelings of pressure, the buttocks, the knees, the feet, feeling of the hands resting. Allowing the spine to, to, to be soft but alert. to take a few deep breaths, just allowing self to arrive fully here together now. thoughts will arise, just allow them to pass through and returning to the experience of just simply sitting here now.
this willingness to begin again and again is the heart of the practice. Allowing the sensations in the body to arise, to pass away. what has been called bare attention to the experience of sitting without changing, without adding words, without judging, no concepts, just fully sitting here together this morning, being with the experience in the body, of the body, sensations changing moment to moment. as you feel ready, as it feels appropriate for you, allowing the awareness to shift to the experience of breathing. Here too, being aware of the changing sensations of the breath as it enters and as it leaves the body, bringing that same quality of unjudging awareness to the experience of breathing, one breath at a time. And here too, not judging or changing the experience of breathing, just allowing as much as possible the body to breathe itself, being fully present as much as possible together here now with the breathing. thoughts will arise, 
acknowledge that thinking has happened and return to the changing sensations of the breath as it enters and as it leaves the body. One breath at a time. to experiment with using a very soft background note of in, out, just to help the mind settle and rest with the truth of the experience of breathing. Perceiving where it is that you experience the breath most clearly, most distinctly, it might be at the tip of the nose or in the abdominal area as it rises and falls, or in the chest area. See where it is you experience the breath most clearly and allow your awareness to settle there. Always remembering that the willingness to begin again and again and again is the heart of the meditation practice. to the experience of the changing sensations in the body as the breath enters, as the breath leaves the body.
one in-breath, one out-breath. by a sound or by an emotion, just acknowledge what has happened. Return to the breath, using the breath for the moment as an anchor, a tool for stilling, deepening a presence with life manifesting moment to moment in the body here, now, together. to begin again and again and again is the heart of the meditation practice.
sometimes it is possible to be present with the beginning and the middle and the end of the in-breath. And then with a gap, perhaps, between breaths and then the birth, the life, and the death of the out-breath. Being as mindful of the breathing in the body now as much as possible without forcing without changing just present moment to moment with life manifesting here and now together meditation, as has been mentioned, uh, can of course happen within this room or outside. 
I will offer just very brief instructions, and then if there are any questions, please, please um, come forward. Just choosing a stretch of space about 15, 20 foot long is what is usual. Just kind of be there at the place where you intend to do the walking meditation and allow yourself to arrive fully in the same way as we arrived fully here feeling the bodily experience of being present moment to moment. Just arrive at a place and stop and feel the wind, feel the ground beneath feet, acknowledge the sounds and just be fully present there. And then in the walking bringing that same quality of bare attention, of mindfulness, of awareness to the experience of walking. And so as you take your steps, maybe 20 steps across and stopping, just be present with the changing sensations in the body of the walking experience, life manifesting moment to moment. Some people find it helpful to walk really slowly and allowing the attention to drop to the soles of the feet, just one foot at a time, placing the foot. You can use a note in the walking too, as we do with the, the breathing, placing, lifting, moving, placing, and just being fully present with each sensation. What we're doing is we're beginning to school the mind in presence, encouraging the mind to be more in the moment of life, more awake to the miracle of life, moment to moment, and less discursive. So the, the breath and the walking meditations are ways to begin to bring us home to the, to the deeper truth of who we are. With the walking, if the mind wanders, as of course it will do, just bring it back in the same way as the sitting. And that willingness to begin again and again and again is truly the heart of the practice because it's in the coming back that we remind ourselves of what the priority is, what is most important. Uh, some people find uh, using a soft note very, very helpful. So you could say left, right, or just walking, walking. Always remembering that the most important thing is the presence in the moment, not the technique, not the note. It's, it's how awake, how alive am I, moment to moment. And so, in the arising from here, it's so easy on retreat, and if you like me, I'm such a busybody. It's like, I'm here, but my mind is already in the parking lot, because that's where I've decided I want to walk. And so, there's like n no life happening between here and the parking lot. <laughs> um, just, you, you know, today's an opportunity to really slow down. We're in silence together, and we can remind one another that, you know, there's no rush today. You know, there's nothing to get to, there's nothing to get back to. And so, you know, as you get up, just be with the experience of the body. You know, as, you know, as we sort of move a leg and just be with it and, and, and get up, and there might be some impatience with congestion at the door. Be with the impatience. Where do you experience it in the body? It, it's like befriending and falling in love with the truth of, of oneself is, is for me what the essence of the practice is about. And so sometimes these between times are actually more instructive and more insightful than the particular times of um, 
formal sitting or walking practice. Um, would somebody volunteer to ring the gong at the end of the walking period, please? Thank you very much, Diane. And um, know that when the bell rings, there's like a full five minutes, you know, so don't rush back. You know, today's an opportunity to together cultivate as much as possible the blessing of a continuity of what we've, we're practicing today. It's an opportunity to just try and keep a rhythm of presence with life um, going here. Now, there are some of us here who are beginning uh, a week-long retreat, and so um, uh, it's just this wonderful movement that we're beginning here, and it's going to blossom and flower in so many different ways. And so, uh, uh, how lovely, how lovely. I'm really bad on walking meditation instructions. I always forget like a couple of really crucial things. <laughs> um, let me just think for a moment. Those who know me know that I'm dizzy. Um, it's helpful not to, to have your eyes downcast. It's, it's, it's really helpful to keep your eyes ahead because if you're looking down, it's easy to get lost in looking at the feet and stuff. What you want to do is just be with the sensations in the body. So keep your eye up, but also it's helpful for your, for your neck. You know, um, you know if, if your head's forward, it can put a lot of pressure on, on your back. Feel free to walk, you know, outside in the road, on the, on the deck, as Kathleen mentioned, in here, wherever you feel comfortable. And Diane, it's 10.30 now. How about if we rang the gong at um, 10 to 11, and then we'll start again at 5 to 11, and then we'll begin um, this mixture of insight meditation and forgiveness. We'll begin with the insight meditation and flowing to the forgiveness practice, and just gently populate that part of the day also. Are there any questions? Thank you. Once again, returning to the experience of sitting, the changing sensations in the body, perhaps of pressure or tingling, tightness, just allowing the awareness to rest with the truth of what is presenting itself moment to moment in the body, giving care to the sitting posture. Holding the back as comfortably and alertly as possible. Being aware of feelings of hot or cold, feelings of 
flow or feelings of tightness in the body, just arriving once more fully here together this morning in the body. as you feel ready and called, allowing the awareness to return once more to the experience of breathing. Wherever it is that you experience the changing sensations of the breath most distinctly. The tip of the nose, the chest, the abdominal area, or perhaps even the whole breath from the nose to the abdomen and back, being as wholeheartedly present with the experience of the changing sensations of the breathing. Without judging or changing, without commenting, just bringing bear attention to life manifesting moment to moment in the body. And if the attention is called away to a thought or an emotion, a sound, just acknowledge what has happened and returning to the anchor to the breath as it enters and leaves the body. This willingness to begin again and again and again is the heart of the meditation practice.
allow the attention to rest in the heart center of the body. It's that place in the middle of the chest. You may even be able to experience the breathing. Imagine the breathing moving in and out of the heart area. changing sensations or the lack of sensations. phrases of loving-kindness to echo within your great heart, allowing them to pass through, resting in whatever feelings or whatever lack of sensation that there might be there. May I be happy just the way I am. be peaceful with what's happening. May I love myself completely. The Buddha said if we looked all over the world, we'd not find anyone more deserving of our love and kindness compassion and forgiveness than ourselves. May I be happy just the way I am. And may I be peaceful with what's happening. May I love myself completely. to hold the thought of forgiveness in your heart. Just a sense of forgiveness. Just be with whatever that sense may or may not be. It may be nothing. Whatever is there is perfect. for you forgiveness bespeaks of a mercy, tenderness, gentleness. 
now once again allowing these phrases of forgiveness to echo within your great heart. I am willing to forgive myself. to forgive myself for thoughts, words, or actions. Whether I intended them or didn't, that have caused me pain and suffering. I forgive myself. with what have been called the great unfinished symphony of regrets and disappointments and sadnesses and things done and left undone that have caused us pain. I forgive myself. I am willing same quality of awareness to whatever the feeling might be or the lack of feeling. Forgiveness, like all things, arises and blossoms in its own time, in its own way, opening to all the rhythms of life. The births, the deaths, the presence, the absence is the essence of practice. Forgive myself for all the ways that I have caused myself suffering by my words, my thoughts, and my actions.
allowing any thoughts that come to mind, any memories, any situations to move through. And in whatever way has meaning for you, being with the feelings that are there, with a sense of spirit of forgiveness. I forgive myself. I invite you, if it has meaning, to bring a particular situation to mind. Perhaps a person where there is a sense of regret, a sense of disappointment, a sense of expecting more of oneself. I forgive myself. I am willing to forgive myself for even this. For my thoughts here, for my words perhaps, for my actions even. I'm willing to let go and forgive. situations, images, senses, feelings of times. It's being aware of a willingness or unwillingness, a capacity or not yet a readiness to forgive.
myself for my words, my actions, my thoughts, intended or unintended, I am willing to forgive myself. forgiveness remembering that forgiveness arises in its own time, in its own way. Our willingness to forgive is all that is necessary. The miracle blossoms as it does. awareness to whatever the feeling is, or the lack of feeling that there is in the heart, in the body, just being present without judging, without changing, just being present.
returning if necessary to the experience of breathing to anchor the mind and then opening with awareness that is unjudging without words just being present within your great heart to whatever it is that's arising moment to moment or not arising is about opening to the truth of life. a sense of a person who perhaps has hurt you at some point. Perhaps one of the small players in your life, not the big hurts. And holding an image, a sense of that person. Consider the possibility of bringing forgiveness here. I am willing to forgive you. For your thoughts, your words, your actions, whether intentional or unintentional, I am willing to let go and forgive. Keep breathing. Extending feelings of love and forgiveness as possible when possible to those who've hurt us.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.